this week on Forward. UltraPass simplifies verified data exchange. It's, 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 it affects everything. What the problem we needed to solve was how do we share this high value private information in a way that simplifies people's lives, empowers them. This is gonna change how people, businesses and governments engage with one another. It is not a question of will this happen, it's just a question of how fast does it happen. When it comes time to vote in a primary or a referendum or an election, you open up your mobile voting app, which is going to verify that you are you by way of your Board of Elections credential, and now you can vote from your phone. What? It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast the founder and CEO of UltraPass. What the heck is that? A good friend of mine, Eric Starr. Welcome, Eric. Hello, Andrew. Good to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, so you and I have known each other for years, back from my Venture for America days. Uh, you were in sustainable finance, something very, very wholesome, raising money to do good for the world. Uh, what is your background so people can quickly get up to speed? Yeah, well, well, thanks for pointing that out because it wasn't always, that wasn't always the case. Um, you know, my early days of my career actually started out in, in uh, launched a hedge fund, which I would say is not really uh, doing good. Uh, but, but, and in so doing, uh, there was always a part of me that wanted to, you know, give back to the community. And I ended up outside of my professional life, volunteering a lot in my community. Um, so I always had that balance of, of, of doing good with uh, doing work. Um, and early days in that hedge fund world, I, I started what was what is now called quant. We use math to uh, identify opportunities in capital markets. And I did that for a number of years, uh, 15, and uh, exited out of that uh, at the uh, early days of 2008. You know, I had been you know, really a pioneer in, in that space. It didn't, ex quant didn't exist in when we launched in 1992, <clears throat> 1992. And it became this really big thing. And I remember I was at a conference end of 07, Bear Stearns had just had obviously blown up. And I remember there was a bunch of hedge fund guys there and we all had the same trades on. And I uh, decided at that point, that was like epiphany. It's like time to move on, time to, time to do something else. Wow. Um, so I, I, I got out of that space. Some of my investors had been with me for 15 years and I made a purposeful decision to get into private credit. I knew that there was a credit crunch coming. We kind of all did at that time. And I also wanted to lean into how can I help people as we do that. And um, I had partners and we launched another uh, uh, venture that focused on providing capital to small businesses to help them grow um, and have a positive impact on the economy. And we partnered with the federal government to do that in our public-private partnership and ran that for uh, a number of years until we sold it. My role there as a partner was, again, to bring the math, to bring the discipline, to figure out how to use technology to make things easier for small businesses to access capital. And that was, again, early 08. Uh, over the next number of years, that became what was now what's now known as fintech. But at the time, it wasn't called that. Uh, so 
uh, I saw really that whole evolution of technology and finance over the, the subsequent uh, uh, 10 years or so. Uh, we sold that business back in uh, 2017. I stayed on for a period of time. Um, and But I've always been at really the nexus of data technology and uh, doing good. Um, and that is certainly true now here at, uh, at UltraPass. So you must keep an eye on the markets. I can't help but think that a lot of people think what's going on right now seems really, really weird. Um, you know, you have 13-year low in uh, number of houses being sold last month, I think. Like, it seems like because interest rates are really high and then people are like, oh, I can't afford a mortgage. Uh, and, but then people who are already in homes are like, oh, snap. Like, you know, I... I would need a new mortgage, so I guess I can't sell. <laughs> There's this um, massive problem in uh, commercial real estate that I've actually talked to, about on the podcast. So those are two massive, massive um, out-of-whack uh, markets that, that seem like they're destined for some kind of uh, correction. Um, the, the stock market, uh, you know, people have different opinions about um, so I know you're not in it all the time like you once were, um, but I'm sure your head can't help but consider some of these situations. Like, you know, do you have any thoughts on what what's going on out there in terms of the markets and and the rest of it? Yeah, I do, of course. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, never short on opinions, but really the the lens through which I I look through, which I think is what you know has really has been the backdrop of our relationship over the years is it's not just about having opinions it's about being a problem solver right and so yeah i have opinions but like take the take the housing crisis or the housing it's not a crisis the housing situation where it's stuck right i'll give you two solutions that would unstuck the housing market um, mortgage portability and mortgage assumption Right, because we know if I have a if I have a mortgage on my home for thirty years at three and a half percent, right? I'm stuck. I can't sell my house and buy something new because of the higher interest rates. But if I can bring my mortgage with me wow. to a new home, wouldn't that be cool? Or what if I could uh, assign my loan to the new buyer of my house? That's mortgage wow. assumption or mortgage portability. So there are solutions out there to unstuck the market. Now, who wins in that? Well, everybody. Well, if you're the bank that's made the loan, well, clearly you want to get repaid because you can lend it back out at 7%, which you can't because nobody's taking those loans. But <laughs> yeah, right. you, you could put terms on it. It's like, all right, if you're bringing your mortgage with you, well, then the loan to value on that new house has to be better than it is today. I mean, so there's ways to do this totally. where not only do buyers win and sellers win, but also the banks can win. So there are solutions to to the mortgage crisis. The commercial real estate's a little bit more complicated. I don't really see a path forward right now. Uh, in Let's face it, work from home or return to office, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is challenged, right? We don't, I don't know what the what the future holds. I do know that more people want to work from home, but the data now suggests that working from home is not the most efficient uh, use of people's time um, from a productivity standpoint. And then you have the issues of, of how do you train people remotely and how do you foster interpersonal skills and how to learn how to work with people and for people when you're not in the same zip code. So I think there are challenges ahead for commercial real estate. There are probably really creative solutions 
I just don't have any in that space. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's just going to be a rough go. But mortgage portability and mortgage uh, assignability, um, genius. Are people actually looking at doing that? I mean, we don't know how long this market's going to be stuck. I, I, I will say I think it's going to have very, very bad nasty consequences beyond the fact that right now people can't afford homes, people aren't moving. I mean, those things are not good. Um, but are, are people, are banks actually looking at uh, doing what you're describing? Because it's a great set of ideas. I mean, you know, just, hey, like your mortgage goes with you. I don't think so. I, I haven't, you know, you're the second person. I have, no, I've I have not heard us. I haven't heard a whisper. Like this is yeah. the first conversation I've heard of either, even those concepts, but yeah. they're, they're so common sense. I, I, I've only socialized this with uh, with a friend of mine last week um, when I was thinking about because he had brought up the whole mortgage challenge that uh, that we're facing and you know those two those two solutions seem to make a lot of sense. I've socialized really it with him and I'm super um, excited about them, man. Someone should should take them and run with them uh, based on this. Look at this. We could solve a giant fucking uh, housing problem from this pod because of my genius friend Eric. Hey, <laughs> let's do it. I, I'm a little busy right now, but heck, you know what? I, ideas are free. If somebody wants to run with it, give me a call. Yeah, someone else will run with that, man. I mean, you definitely have your hands full. So, yeah. UltraPass, born in part of a tweet I put out there um, right as COVID was hitting where I said, hey, wouldn't it be great if the government knew who we were and uh, we each had a unique identifier? And then uh, if, for example, that there was a pandemic um, and they wanted to send us money, they could do so really, really easily and straightforwardly. Yeah. Uh, and so I put that out in the world, and then you ran with it to the point where now it's real, uh, which I'm super excited about. Um, so talk about how you came to UltraPass and what UltraPass is. Sure. So I'll tell you the, the origin story. You mentioned that we've been friends for a long time, and I got involved in your presidential campaign. And right around the time, uh, so let's put things in perspective. I sold my company in October of 2017. Now, I was still an employee there. I had an earn out and those kinds of things. But if you do the math, you know, in November of 2017, I got a phone call. So here I am. I've sold my company, but I'm still working. And then my friend calls and says, hey, I'm running for president. And I said, let's do it. Not president yeah. of what? Not president yeah, of no. what? Yeah, You're one of the like, good ones. I appreciate let's do it. <laughs> right? Let's do it. So, you know, for the subsequent couple of years, I was I was in it. I was promoting. I was raising. I was. Yeah, man, you were in Iowa. Glorious. Yeah. Oh, that was. Yeah, I called it the, the last Iowa caucus at the time. Um, oh, no, you weren't wrong. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, <you're right. laughs> yeah, I can tell stories about that, which are which I think your 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 listeners would appreciate. We'll we'll come back. We'll, we'll come back to that later. It's a real life story about the Iowa caucus. So anyway, you pull out of the race. It's February, I believe, of 20. Yep, 2020. And, and I'm thinking, oh, I got all this time back, right? What am I going to do with all my time? And I'm living in New York City and, uh, you know, what happens in a few weeks, COVID, and it's raging. And I remember watching the news uh, on TV from my apartment and there are, you know, people crying because the city's been shut down. People lost their jobs. They're applying for unemployment insurance. So they go online and the system's crashing. And I was lucky enough to submit an application. Well, they have to verify it with a phone call. And the lines are busy for days. So they're crying. It's like, they're like, through no fault of my own, I cannot earn money. And now the system that's there 
to support me in a time of need completely fails. And that was this epiphany moment. It's like, why do we accept? And I'm watching the news. I'm like, why do we accept such terrible Systems. experiences when we're dealing with our government? And that was really the the, the impetus. And I, I put a deck together on all the things I want to I want to fix. And yeah, it was like applying for unemployment or filing for taxes or voting from your phone. Um, those are the yeah. things I, I really wanted to solve for. And um, so I put this deck together and, you know, you're tweeting out about a, a citizen portal. And I asked you to share a little sign up sheet, a little form, Google, Google form to see who's interested to join me in figuring out how do we solve these problems. And it was through that Google form um, I met my now co-founder, Dave Boulay. So he and I have been focusing on, on this problem from uh, middle of 2020. Uh, and at the time, we had no idea how to solve these problems. But as, you know, as, a, as, a, as a problem solver in technology and data, I figured, well, can't be that hard. Uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are putting, you know, we put a man on the moon in 1969. We could probably figure this out. Uh, so what we started was we started researching to try to understand why these problems exist. Um, and then we can start to craft solutions. So what we learned was that the, the real, the reason why engaging with government is so terrible is because government's not like this one thing, right? So right now, Andrew, you're sitting in New York City. Yeah. So you're in New York City, you're in New York State, and you're in the United States of America. Those are three completely separate governments. Yeah. Now, the NYPD has information on Andrew Yang. Yeah. The Board of Elections has information on Andrew Yang. And the IRS has information on Andrew Yang. Now, those three departments cannot, by law, share your personal information with one another. They're in different jurisdictions. But even if they were in the same jurisdiction, they couldn't share information. Privacy laws. You can't share private information without consent. So given this siloed nature of government and the fact that yeah, because what's the argument? Oh, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. I don't understand. I did it over here. Now I got to do it again. Well, that's because of all the silos that have, uh, have existed. And and over the over the years, we've just we've we've collected an enormous amount of data that is locked away in these bureaucratic vaults behind firewalls, right? And it's really hard to get at. It's better. I don't want to make this like sound like, well, that was a bad idea. It wasn't right. Bef right. We used just to have a to hodgepodge that grows over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's better than like your information in a piece of paper in a file cabinet. I mean, that's useless, right? But it does create from a user experience digitally challenges because that right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So what UltraPass, so what we learned from uh, what we learned was the problem was we had the siloed information that creates really challenges when it comes to customer experience. And I'll, I'll share it like the alternative, right? Where Amazon, right? Amazon knows everything you've ever done with Amazon. It knows what you like to buy, how you like to pay for it, it where you it, like to have it shipped. It, it might know some things you didn't do with Amazon. <laughs> That's exactly right, right? So by having that information about you, they can deliver this amazing customer experience. Government can't do that, right? 
And I don't, and as Americans, where we value freedom, we don't want government knowing everything about us. I know I certainly don't. Well, we, we're used to Amazon and Google and uh, Facebook slash Meta, um, maybe Apple, uh, now knowing everything about us. We're totally comfortable with that because we're like, oh, good, this will lubricate my transactions. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll send me stuff. But, yeah. if, if, but, but if you put government in there, then people would become very, very leery and uncomfortable, to your point. Yeah, no, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy. Right. We're willing to give our information away for, you know, free Wi-Fi. But, you know, so long as it's not the government getting it, uh, there is absolutely I mean, I've had a lot of conversations about privacy and it's like, oh, people don't care. I'm like, well, they kind of do care. Um, it just it's about a trade. It's about the trade off. And with government, the trade off is negative. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Yeah, I mean, we should care. We're getting pummeled uh, and conditioned in a particular way. I mean, this is obviously I was making this point on the presidentials. Like, hey, guys, yep. like maybe our data should be ours. Maybe we should yep. be able to bargain collectively, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's just commenting the, the fact that we do have a different attitude uh, toward government, even though government is what should be um, the system that helps us in the time of need that you're describing. And when people are trying to get their unemployment benefits, um, that often was through states. So the federal money went to the states and then the states couldn't administer it in some situations. Uh, and that played out not just here in New York, uh, that, that played out all over the place. Oh, yeah. There were so many issues that arose as a result of COVID. I mean, it was estimated, I think the number was $281 billion of fraud in 2021. Sure. Because we, we, had, <laughs> to we had to open up these programs to get money into the hands of people. And as you know, Andrew, right, you know, right, historically, there's been a trade-off between speed and accuracy, right? And again, it's historically true. If you want to move fast, sometimes, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta break a few things. And what ends up happening is, well, we got to get money out quick. So what happens, you know, you get bad actors that come in and say, I'll take some. And they took a lot, a lot. So anyway, we have this, uh, we have these challenges. Uh, privacy is another one. I agree with you. Uh, we should care. 
the U.S. is a unique place. I mean, it's the best country in the world. Um, but when it comes to privacy and data, we're behind other parts of the country, yeah. of the world. Totally. You know, we don't have – California's got COPPA. But Europe really has GDPR, and people are really leaning into GDPR. It's where you can – you own and control your data, and you can say, I don't want you to have it anymore, and pull it all back. We don't have that yet in the U.S., People in the U.S., every once in a while, you find yourself on a European website, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, and all this data stuff pops up. And at first you're like, what's going on here? But then you realize, oh, wait, it's just a European site. Yep. <laughs> sure, right. I'll, I'll accept whatever you're yeah. doing. So anyway, so what you, you asked me, like, how do I get here and what, do we, what is UltraPass? So what we learned is, or what the problem we needed to solve was how do we share this high value private information locked away in these siloed databases in a way that simplifies people's lives, empowers them, gives them agency over their own information and absolves the custodians of that data from privacy, breaking privacy laws. How, how do we do that? If we can solve that problem, then maybe we can unlock the data in ways that simplify people's lives. And that's what we began to build. Um, that's what UltraPass does. What we are is a digital trust platform that facilitates the sharing of verified data. Now, it's words, what does that actually mean? It's saying, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example. And what we do is not limited to governments and programs, because what we do is it's going to affect everybody everywhere. Um, but verified data exchange, which is what we provide, is going to become ubiquitous around the planet. And to give you a sense of scale, Shopify simplifies e-commerce, right? And e-commerce is freaking big, right? UltraPass simplifies verified data exchange. It's, 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 it affects everything. So what do I mean? I'll give you an example in healthcare. Um, and what I want, what I hope is some of my examples resonate with your listeners and they go, oh, that's such a problem. We can fix that? And the answer is yes. So let me give you some examples. So if you've ever needed a second opinion from a doctor, you have to get your medical records from the first person to the second person. Yep. And... Health records are really sensitive private information. So the doctor one can't just send it to doctor two, right? What you have to do is go to doctor two, fill out a form, and the doctor that says, I want you to get my records, the doctor then faxes it, yep, fax to the first doctor. It may go through, it may not go through. If it goes through, somebody's gotta pick it up and then they gotta send your records, however they send them, mail, electronically, who knows, to the second doctor, and you hope it gets there before your appointment. That's friction. That's painful. So what does UltraPass do? Well, we don't actually do this today, but we I'm interested in doing this. Oh, you, have the, with, you have the capacity to do it. Yes, exactly. We want to work with the electronic medical records companies. What we could easily do is um, Dr. A issues your medical records back to you similar to how an airline issues you a boarding pass 
And then you, when you set up, when you, when you create your appointment with the second doctor and says, Hey, do you have your medical records? Yes. Will you share it with us? Yes. They will request from your phone, your medical records. And now you share the records with the doctor. It happens all the time of appointment done. Now what's just happened. The doctor gave you your records. You then gave it to the second doctor. That's verified data exchange. Now, there's a lot of technology that goes into it. A couple of important points. One, the individual, the patient, can't tamper with the information that they're moving. They're, it's their records, but they can't change them. It's, it's, it's tamper-proof. Two, the recipient, the verifier, the second doctor, can trust the information you've sent because cryptographically, they can confirm that, that your medical records were given to you by a certified doctor. So now they can trust who issued it and they can, they can know you didn't tamper with it. Now they can trust the information they've received without having to go back to the original doctor and say, hey, did you send it? That issuer, holder, verifier relationship is what we promote. That's what we call this verified data exchange model, issuer, holder, verifier. We make that happen in every industry, every, in any place, any use case where a holder needs to move in for their information from point A to point B in a verified tamper-proof way. That's what we do. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. So do you use the blockchain? Because that's one of the things that people associate with a blockchain is being able to verify uh, this kind of transaction. We can, uh, but we don't have to. So first of all, what we don't do is we don't put your medical records on blockchain. We don't do that. 
the use of blockchain would be where the cryptographic keys go. Um, so when that verifier wants to val validate that it was issued by a certified doctor, right? So we could use blockchain to put the, the, uh, the keys on chain. You don't have to. So if we're working with a government and they have a .gov webpage, or we can put the keys in the .gov because it's not going away. You know, you wouldn't put them necessarily on a uh, on a domain that you know might change tomorrow. But you could use it could be just purely Web two, or it could use blockchain um, and introduce this notion of of Web three. But you don't have to use blockchain. Uh, sometimes there are, and we, we were brought into situations where they where it's like they're brought in because they want to do something on chain. Um, and sometimes they just need to solve problems and whether it uses yeah. the blockchain or not uh, is is irrelevant. Um, one of the big case use cases we're working on now, you know, the idea of using blockchain has come up, but they have problems to solve, big ones, and um, we can solve them. Okay, so, so you have this verified data exchange uh, platform. Um, so number one, can you describe a few other use cases aside from my health data, which makes perfect sense to me. Um, and it could be actually life-saving or super handy. Um, but what, what are some other use cases that we could get excited about potentially? I'll give you two. One would be in the area of uh, civic engagement. So if you've gone through the process of applying for SNAP and getting food stamps, you go through, you provide a lot of information um, to the to the program uh, in person interviews, it's you know it's it's challenging. At the end of that process, what we can do is hook in with that agency and allow them to issue back all the information they collected from that applicant and provide it back to them to their phone. And now, when that individual goes and applies for public housing rather than go through the entire process from the start, providing all the same information. They just share their information. The application gets instantly approved, not just filled out, but approved because all the information has already been vetted by SNAP and public housing can determine the validity of the information being shared. So it instantly approved. So now imagine that in you know, multiply that by 10, by 50, by every program. You basically have to go through something once and repeat it over and over again, simply and easily. The, the ability or the impact on burden, the impact on efficiency, the impact on customer experience, enormous, and the use cases are, are really unlimited. So that's a case in like the, in, in, in social services. Uh, another one would be, when you uh, register to vote, at the conclusion of that process where you've registered, you get issued a uh, digital credential with your, your voter registration. Now, imagine when it comes time to vote in a primary or a referendum or an election, you open up your mobile voting app, um, which is going to verify that you are you by way of your um, board of Elections credential, and now you can vote from your phone in a way what? that is identified, yeah, that, that secures your identity. Um, yeah, that, so these are 
big ideas. And this is not science fiction. It's, it's happening right now. This is the future. All of us wonder why we're not living. <laughs> it's like, why can't you talk to the other system? Um, and, and what you're doing is you're actually saying, look, I'm not going to force these systems to talk to each other. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make it so that any data that you provided to one actor, it could be your data. And then you can also just be like, here you go to, 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 to someone else. Um, and so you're not even putting onus on these other institutions, whether it's a doctor's office or a state agency or the food stamp agency. All they need to do is be able to give it back to you in uh, this. I'm imagining it is something of like a lockbox. And then you can open the lockbox up for others uh, if, if you want. Um, and this would be a dream for a lot of people. It would actually it would save lives in a lot of these situations or keep, keep people off the street or whatnot. So how does it technically work? Uh, like what, what are you doing to be able to assure someone that, that one, like you said, hey, th this data is um, real and not tampered with, and two, that it's secure? Okay, so great question and essential one to, to have to answer. And let me start by saying this. This is not, what we do is not all about UltraPast. So as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, as a public benefit corporation and with a mission to simplify civic engagement, you know, we care deeply about making lives better for people. Um, that's one. Two, we haven't invented this whole thing and it's like come inside the UltraPass tent and stay there forever because we know what we're doing. Not at all. I'm as skeptical of, of, of big tech as, as, as the next person. Um, we are standing on the shoulders of others who have created this entire ecosystem of technology. Those shoulders are groups like um, the Department of Homeland Security, um, what's happening in Europe with GDPR. So the technology that we use is something called verifiable credentials. We don't own it. We don't. We didn't invent it. Verifiable credentials are that is that tamper-proof digital credential that contains your private information called claims. The standards around a credential have been debated, fought over, argued about for years and years and years by other people. Again, these are the shoulders that we're standing on. So now we have these global standards on what is a digital verifiable credential? What does it have to look like in order for it to be used all over them in various places. And the security of those credentials, again, not us. We, we, that's not what we've developed. What we've developed is making it easy for issuers to issue credentials to holders, for holders to hold them, and for holders to, to share them. So we're standing on the shoulders of others. Um, this ecosystem has been developing over the last 10 years, and it's reached now this tipping point where it's beginning to show up in your daily lives everywhere. Um, we started in 2020 working with Microsoft in a private preview of verifiable credentials. Now you may have used that product that has subsequently been developed by Microsoft. It's called Microsoft Entra ID. You may have used it if you've ever verified your uh, your employment status and LinkedIn. LinkedIn now has this verified ID component that's based on verifiable credentials. 
the Department of Homeland Security in the United States is going to be issuing, uh, say, green cards using verifiable credentials, using a particular standard that we work in the same standard. So if Department of Homeland Security issues as a green card, our issuers and verifiers can consume that green card from that holder. It's completely open standard. Um, the security baked into these things is robust. You're not relying on UltraPass, but you're relying on this global consor consortium of public and private um, participants that are making sure that your privacy is preserved and that security is 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 raised to a level that right now we we cannot do. So it's a lot of fun what we're involved with. There's a lot going on right now. Wow. So so there's been a global standard that's developed. It's just that. Uh, it's not being utilized by a lot of uh, either consumers or institutions. Is that the description? Yeah. So adopt. So we sit at the we we sit at the tip of the spear. We're that adoption company. We're the application wow. layer that goes in and says, "Okay, technology's here. Now everybody, let's go use it." Again, I'll use that Shopify example. Right? You could have used been. You could have built a. Uh, e-commerce site on your website, but you know, what's a shopping cart? How do I build a shopping cart? I don't know how to build a shopping cart. So Shopify comes in and says, no, no, just put this in and now you have it all. That's what we do. And without making it easy for issuers and verifiers and holders to engage, it doesn't engage. So you have to build all the standards and then you've got companies like UltraPass that come in and they say, okay, now we're gonna make it easy for people to actually engage with this technology. Wow. So you guys are essentially like an open system. You're, you're not trying to keep anyone in. You're just like, look, guys, here are the tools and come to UltraPass and use these tools. And, and then you're going to have all these benefits. But there's nothing keeping anyone from doing it elsewhere. It's just that you're uh, one of the company, one of the only companies I know of um, that's offering this in part because I, I think you guys just actually want to improve people's lives and solve the problem. Is that a, a reasonable description? Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm grateful for all the work that other people have done in this space because without it, we couldn't do what we do. Um, but we, we don't get caught up in a lot of the debate over what is the right standard. That's not what we do. And there are a number of different standards that, have, uh, that exist today for your listeners that maybe have a mobile driver's license on their phone that was issued by a state. Uh, Louisiana, for instance, that is a verifiable credential of a particular standard. The uh, credential being issued by you know, this this digital green card that's going to be issued by Department of Homeland Security, that uh, is going to be of a different standard called the W3C standard. Uh, what UltraPass does is we don't really care what standard is used. We just want to make it easy for them to be issued, held, and and shared. Wow. And, and that's that's the application layer. That's how we simplify this verified data exchange. That's really clever. So if you were to uh, forecast a, a future, let, let's say that I'm listening to this and I'm thinking like, ooh, um, is this something I can sign up for? Will this improve my life? Like wh what kind of adoption are we looking for? I, like when you talk about the examples, um, I think um, that it might be different institutions like healthcare providers 
or insurance companies, but is there a place for a consumer who's like, hey, I'd like to stop having to reprovide my data everywhere I go? Um, I'll tell you my personal thing is that the password protocols uh, have changed so much that like you can't even have one password anymore. Um, You have to have multiple passwords and then um, and then every once in a while you get a message from one of your companies being like, Hey, you might want to change that password. And you're like, Oh no, <laughs> like, um, is this forecasting a not so distant future where I can just show up and doors magically open for me. And I'm just like ultra pass. And then, uh, and then Bill's like, yeah, we know you're you. Yes. Um, again, it's not a technology problem. Um, it's just, it, it's an adoption challenge. Um, we've, you, your listeners may have heard of like password lists. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't need a password anymore. So we, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of ways that we work with that. So part of what we do is biometrics is basically registering your face. Oh. Um, now that my face is my ultra pass. Your face is your username and password. Um, now if I'm one of your listeners, my eyes are rolling saying bias and, and privacy. That's, no, that's not what I'm thinking. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I've got a face and it's, yeah. it, I mean, it's hard for a, a scammer, I think, to just like, you know, fake my face. <laughs> uh, it's actually not. What's difficult is to fake liveness. Liveness would be, I mean, you may have done it where you, you know, move your head around and it's in the Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I mean, you know. Liveness is hard. Uh, Deep fakes are pretty easy, right? Um, So private, so yeah, uh, identity verification uh, is a big part of what we do. Um, Again, we work with other companies, so it's not all about UltraPass. But when it comes to facial recognition, um, I don't. I don't want my biometrics floating around the internet. Um, so um, one of the uh, the solution that we work with, it leverages something called homomorphic encryption, which is really cool. It's a funky word, but it's really cool. Basically, your your biometrics are taken on your device, and then it's using encryption. It basically removes all of the any anything private about you and converts it down to zeros and ones. And basically that's those zeros and ones are then um, uh, create your biometric makeup. And then when you come back in uh, and you use your face again, it converts it to zeros and ones and compares those zeros and ones to the, to the original registered zeros and ones. And it matches no private information ever leaves your phone. So wow. what does that mean? It's not even compliant. It's not compliant with GDPR in Europe. It's not even subject to GDPR because no private information ever leaves your device. Wow. Now that those biometrics are also, you know, it's it's bias free. The whole uh, machine learning that had been done was basically this is really another cool thing. Check this out. So you know how AI works in machine learning, and you need millions and millions of of inputs in order to to build the 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 AI. So. Um, did you know that facial recognition systems were really built using public images, mostly of like famous people? Like I didn't know that. Um, then there, and companies came around and said, all right, one, that's not really great for the images of people who were using without them knowing. Um, but two, you know, famous people are all like kind of look alike. Right? There's, 
So what we're going to do is we're going to create a random set of images of fake people, like a billion of them. And then we're going to teach, we're going to train AI on facial recognition on billions of fake images. And that's how they have trained the AI. So now you don't have any bias because you can just create billions sure. of faces that all different kinds. And, um, and the AI can pick up on, on, on the components of, a, of your unique face compared to this like huge data, data um, inputs of, of fake people. So anyway, so there's, there's biometrics, use your face, log in with your, your, your phone or your camera on your, um, on your computer. Now what happens is your biometrics are linked to, it, in one way we do things is your biometrics are actually linked to your username and password at this like website. So they have an account in their system yep. that is still subject to being penetrated by bad actors. Those are not, we, you know, we don't have to make all that go away day one, Yeah. but if there's a username and password in the back end or an account for Andrew Yang, you can link that to your biometric and it links then. that to your face. So now instead of having to put in your username and password, you just look at the camera and it says, Oh, that is this and done. If a listener is like, ooh, this is a future I want to uh, be a part of, uh, what can they do? And are there particular types of customers or institutions that you're more excited to hear from? Uh, yes. So our traction is really in, mostly in government. Um, so we're working with local, state, federal governments uh, around the world. So if I if I was like a local government um, and I wanted to make life easier for my uh, constituents, then I could sign up with UltraPass, and then what would happen? Yeah, so we would work with their uh, with the IT department. It's a simple little web hook into their systems. What we can't help, and we can't help local governments if their data is in file cabinets uh, or in some mainframe from 1985. Uh, so there really needs to be a level of maturity um, within these different um, uh, different potential customers. Uh, the good news is that's happened really. For most of there's, them. There's, okay. There's, so most there's, of them are past that curve. Yeah. So you've got local uh, governments as one. You've got yeah. corporates as another. And then you've got individuals. So we, right now we're not targeting individuals at all. In order to drive adoption, it's really about getting – issuers and verifiers, the holders will come, the individuals will come um, because it's going to either get them money or just make their life better. Oh, I don't have to go for an appointment. I can just do it from my phone. We're not worried about driving adoption with the individual. We are focused on the issuer and verifier. Like click here to get your money. People are going to click. It's working with the government to say, to, to tie them into our technology is, is, is where we're focusing our our efforts on on building customer base. It's banks, it's the uh, electronic medical records companies. We've had a lot of conversations. We're working on a big thing right now in health insurance um, over uh, in a different part of the world. Uh, in the banking, in open banking we have here in the US. And I don't know if you've ever, if you're a business owner and you ever had to, um, you know, you wanna log into your account and see your balance, you can do that, fine, no, no problem. But if you ever wanted to like, wire out money, you may end up having to get a phone call from some call center confirming that you just put that in. Now, that happens a lot. 
because the bank wants to raise the identity assurance level that, oh, this is really the person who wants to send money out. Um, that level of friction is terrible because, you know, the person that's trying to do it might not be able to answer the phone and then they have to call back and it's a call center and they don't, doesn't work. So we remove that process by using, um, using UltraPass for identity verification and identity uh, and assurance levels. So finance companies, healthcare companies, um, obviously state, federal, local governments, uh, anybody that has had some sort of data breach um, and needs to address those concerns. Um, a lot of what we do, it can, uh, what we do can solve a lot of these problems and it's all win-win. It's, it's affordable. It improves the customer experience. It provides agency to the customer to control their data and it raises the bar and security to levels that heretofore we haven't been able to deliver. Yeah, really, it, it gets the burden off of that institution in some ways. It's like, yep. hey, now now you've got it. It's like a data passport. And after I give you the data passport, uh, then you can go take it wherever. And that has nothing to do with me. And that's a win for me. It'll make you feel better about me, but it'll also mean less calls to my office. <laughs> yeah. No, the reusability is, is enormous. Uh, you know, that's the frustration that we save for people. It's like, I only have to do this once and I can just share it where I want to share it. It's, it's, it, this is going to change how people, businesses, and governments engage with one another. Uh, it is not a question of will this happen. It's just a question of how fast does it happen. And we're trying to move as quickly as we can to gain adoption around the world. Yeah, man. I mean, you're going to improve lives and probably save lives at the margins. Thank you and congrats for spending three years um, making that tweet about a citizen portal happen in real life. For those of you who are listening, why haven't you spent three years making one of my tweets real? What the hell's wrong with you? Look at Eric. He's going to change the world. Um, Andrew, so you're Eric, my source of all information. Uh, anything I do, I do because you've sold, you told me to do it. No, <laughs> well, that's so, not true. So, so let's close on your Iowa story because I'm sure yeah. people would would, would, would would love to hear it. Okay. Thank you for coming back to that. So um, democracy is amazing. It's an amazing form of government. Um, caucuses are the most undemocratic thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so I'll set the stage. It's February 2020. It's dark out. It's in the evening. I'm at, I'm in the basement of a church and I am the caucus captain or whatever. Precinct, for Andrew, captain. precinct captain for Andrew Yang. And I show up and there are precinct captains from the various candidates um, in the basement. And then the Iowa citizens show up and they move to the corner of the room where the precinct captain is standing and eventually and what happens is the people running the caucus go and count how many people are in each corner of the room great as i'm watching this unfold i see this young woman she's in her 30s and there are two precinct captains on either side of her and i don't remember the candidates who they were representing but one was telling her how 
she should come to his side of the room because he's coached her kids and he knew her, he knows her parents and she should come over to her, his side of the room. This other person was saying, no, 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 you should come to my side of the room because my daughter babysits for your kids. You know, we go to the same church. You should come to my side of the room. And this poor woman is crying because she doesn't know what to do and is being bullied by <laughs> and I'm sit- it's it's you know it's horrible right and i'm sitting there watching this unfold one my heart's breaking here's this woman obviously has young kids at home it's nighttime it's cold out she came here to do her civic responsibility only to be bullied by people in Kurt. so this is i was watching this saying these have to go away these have to go away. Not to mention, I'm in the hotel and I'm, you know, in there in, in the elevator, and there's a woman who works at the hotel. And I'm like, "Are you voting in the caucus?" She goes, "I can't vote. I'm working." Yep. Yeah. It's like caucuses are. Maybe there was a time and a place. I don't know what that looked like, um, but the idea that bullying is part of the strategy is terrible. I was so. I don't get angry a lot. I try not to fine I try not to but I was really I felt really bad for that woman that was crying um I just wanted to make that pain go away right just leave her alone let her decide I mean let her do what she wants to do not because you're forcing her to do it anyway that was my experience I hadn't heard stories like that I'm sure there are many but I thought your your listeners might find that interesting informative and horrifying all at the same time and why we need to evolve and imagine, imagine, Andrew, the, the, the engagement we would have in primaries and referendums and elections if people can do it safely, securely, privacy, and privacy preserving from their own uh, home, from their own device. And yeah, that man. is something that's been my North Star for many, 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 many years. Yeah, voting on your phone uh, is the dream, and it sounds like UltraPass is going to help hasten that dream into reality. I'll tell you, a lot of Americans think, okay, wait a minute. At this point, I'm running my life, uh, my finances, um, my really like private uh, data on my phone, but then when it's voting time, I'm driving to the local uh, high school or center, I'm standing in line. Um, like It's like a trip backwards in time. Um, and people realize on some level that it's in, in large part because the powers that be don't actually want a lot of us to vote. Uh, you know, like that hotel worker who's, who's not able to participate in the caucus, if they really wanted to, they could make a process where she could vote, but they don't care. You know, and like that, like there, there's like a certain layer uh, of folks who are benefiting from the current system. Uh, and if we modernize that process and you change uh, the calculation and people are going to fight that. But in, in my opinion, uh, it's going to improve things dramatically. And it sounds like UltraPass is going to be part of making it happen. Yeah. I, look, as I said, I want to I look through the world through the lens of, of a problem solver and there are those that I guess don't want people to vote. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure there are people. I know there are people that that like the status quo to preserve their own power. I understand that. 
it is my problem, but that's not what I'm solving. If we just empower people um, by providing them the solutions that they could use um, to engage, then I know we're on the right side of history because it's going to happen. Um, and that's why, you know, working with, with you and Forward Party and our friends at mobilevoting.org with uh, Jocelyn Baccaro, what they're doing, the opportunity to not just talk about these solutions, but to actually go out and make them happen for voters uh, today, tomorrow, in the immediate future, uh, is what we're all about, is making things real, not just talking about them, but delivering, providing the solutions to organizations and individuals um, to really help improve their lives. So mobile voting is something that's been really close to my heart for really before we even started UltraPass, and um, we're going to bring that to fruition uh, soon uh, with, uh, with help of, of others like yourself who care deeply for it as well. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff coming for people. Um, and we're just excited to be a part of it. And by the way, for people that want to find me, you can go to ultrapassid.com. You can follow me on X Twitter. I don't really do too much on that, but at Eric D star, uh, I do, I do monitor my LinkedIn a lot more so you can find me there as well. Uh, please reach LinkedIn, out. this man at Eric Starr. It's two R's. It is. Thank you. Well, you're building it. You're the real thing, Eric. So excited for UltraPass, making it so that um, people's data actually can be theirs for the, the transport anytime they want, as opposed to relying upon some faceless org to maybe <laughs> send another faceless org <laughs> your information. So maybe you can get whatever you're probably entitled to, you know, so certainly if it's a, a, a government. Uh, congratulations, and uh, we'll, we'll keep track of UltraPass's development every step of the way. Really excited for you, and thank you on a personal level for everything you've done uh, for me, the campaigns, uh, Venture for America, Forward, and the future. Andrew, you've always been an inspiration to me, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to be your friend. I, uh, I love you. You know that, brother. All right, man. I love you too, Eric. 